This is DeRay Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Mains podcast, episode one, double eight, Lego. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what's happening what's going on good people welcome to a brand new installment of the before the millions podcast i'm your host deray olalaye and this is episode 188 on today's episode we are speaking with apartment investor self-storage investor just com- overall commercial expert. He's been in the commercial game for 20 years, Mr. Terry Hale. And I really, really enjoy Terry's lifestyle. He works about 20 hours a week in this business. It's insane. But in those 20 hours, he gets a whole lot done. He has a whole lot of fun. He helps a whole lot of people and he makes a whole lot of money. So we're going to talk about his story on today's episode. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you are notified every single week when a new episode comes out. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're doing amazing. You know, May is my favorite time of the year. One, because it's my birthday month. And two, because it means that we have yet another anniversary of the podcast. And we got our four, not three, not five, but we got our four year anniversary coming up, which is super amazing. So we got a lot of things planned for that. If you have been sticking with us since the very beginning, oh my goodness, I, first off, I really applaud you. I really thank you for tuning in. You are the loyal of the most loyal tribe member. So we really do appreciate you here at Before the Millions. And what's crazy is that Before the Millions was such a different beast back in 2017. I mean, it was such a different platform and yet and still it was yet and still a lot of the things were the same. What I can really appreciate now about 2021 is that our product line, for the most part, is out, right? I mean, you guys know about the motivated seller method, and we only release MSM once per year. And some people may be like, Dre, you're losing out on a whole lot of money, and you're not able to help people throughout the year and all this and all this stuff because you only drop your course once a year. Yeah, I drop it once a year for about two weeks, but but it's proven to be one of the best decisions from a business standpoint. Every single year, heck, every single month, there are always new updates. There are always new things that we need to go and implement. There are new things that are changing in the market. And it's my job to make sure that I'm keeping my course updated. It's my job to make sure that I'm keeping all of the investors updated who are buying properties using my methods. And it's my job to make sure ultimately that we are getting investors 
to their result as quickly as possible. Again, I buy real estate with no and low money down. But what I've learned over the years that my strategy is not really what's important, that the system is the most important thing because I can take my system and instead of buying single family homes, I could apply this to the land industry. I could apply this to the self-storage industry, which again is something we talk about on today's episode. I could apply this to the apartment industry. These strategies are tried and true. So and inside of my course, the motivated seller method, which is not going to be released until this fall, we normally release it right around every single fall. So make sure that you are signed up on the wait list over at motivated seller method. Dot com. That's MotivatedSellerMethod.com, where I teach you how to buy deals. So how to buy, again, single family homes with none of your own money, no credit, no banks, no financing, no hard money lender, no private money lender, and not a whole lot of experience until you take my course. It's absolutely the best thing that I've possibly been able to put on this planet Earth. And um, again, we're making more iterations, like a lot of things are changing in the market right now. So we'll have all those updates in before the next release. So I really enjoy that aspect of doing these once per year releases. And instead of people buying the course every single day of the year, I build up a whole lot of anticipation for two weeks, for 14 days where the card is open and you're able to go ahead and purchase the course and get your hands on my most prized possession. And as many of you know, if you're new and you're just getting started and you don't think you're yet ready to build out your real estate business, you're still dabbling, I have a free mini course that just teaches you how to flip contracts. And again, it's with none of your own money, none of that stuff. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. That's beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. This is a 30-day challenge we've been doing for the past few years, and we got another live challenge coming up here shortly. So make sure you head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you some of the new updates inside of the Motivated Seller Method. Again, my staple course uh, coming up here in 2021. So we are adding a ton of new gears, gadgets, features, ding-dongs, all the things that you guys need to help you on your journey. Now, I say all that, but it's one of the most clear-cut courses that you can take. There's no fluff, right? So the things that we're adding are need-to-know things, need-to-have things that are going to help you get to your success even faster. I've had students that have bought their first deal within 30 days of opening the course. And mind you, 30 days of opening the course, you don't even have access to all of the material. You don't even have access to all of the content yet. So that's how powerful just the first few days of it is. But like I said, we want to make it better here this year. So I have a few things that we've already started updating inside of the course, which is adding a daily tracking meter to make sure that we're hitting our marketing goals. Some of my mentors call this a scorecard and we may call it the exact same thing. We don't know yet. Again, we're, in, we're still in the works. We're putting more virtual assistant training inside of the course. You guys know the premise of the show. It's all about lifestyle design. The quicker you can replace yourself in your business, the quicker you can achieve that lifestyle design goal. Whereas our previous VA training only showed you where to find and how to hire your virtual assistant, how to manage them and their time. This time around, I'm just like, how can I help my investors more? Now I'm just like, no, let's just roll out an entire training system so that once you hire your VA, we'll train them for you. Speaking more to lifestyle design, I want to put in more automation in the business. So we've adopted a new CRM late 2020 and that CRM 
customer relationship management software where you manage your leads, ours is called FreedomSoft. And we'll talk about this CRM on a lot of episodes coming up, but I typically give it about six months, which we just reach about six months before I talk about any app or software that I use. So make sure that it's something that I can really truly put my backing behind. And boy, you guys know how I love PropStream. Well, FreedomSoft is like the yin to the yang of PropStream. It's just like, dude, like without these two softwares, like my business would be nothing. I don't need anything else when it comes to my real estate business. All I need is FreedomSoft and PropStream and I'm good to go. So again, FreedomSoft is our new CRM we've been using for about six months and I have no complaints whatsoever. We'll talk about this more in some upcoming episodes, but I want to provide more training on this software because FreedomSoft literally allows me to do pretty much nothing in the business. Between my virtual assistants and my automation inside of FreedomSoft, I can focus on Before the Millions, my educational company, and continue to take down deals. We got a ton of new live seller calls. I mean, guys, I take down all of my own deals. There's nobody else that does them. I speak to every single seller that we market to that is interested in selling their property, and I take down all of my own deals. So what does that mean? Well, in a system like FreedomSoft, all of those calls are recorded. And all of those recorded calls of me negotiating and persuading and helping and serving and laughing and joking and building rapport with sellers that are thinking about selling their property to by the end of the call, they're dying to sell their property. All of those calls are recorded and they're being put in the brand new MSM. I'm also trying to work out a deal with a skip tracing company to provide all of my students inside of the motivated seller method with about 1000 free leads. Okay. Already skip traced. So this is something that we'll be working on this summer. And hopefully by this fall's implementation of the motivated seller method, you guys will be able to kickstart your investing journey with 1000 leads before you even have to pay for a lead, look for a lead, buy a lead any of that stuff, you're going to be given 1000 free leads in the market that you choose to get your investing journey started. So again, these are just some of the new things that we're implementing here in 2021. We wouldn't, we don't even have enough time in this intro to talk about all the things that are already in the course that are already getting my students results. But I wanted to drop it in your ear here early in this year, even though MSM doesn't come out for the, the next three, four months, but just get prepared And again, if you're not taking our free challenge to kickstart your investing journey that shows you exactly how to flip contracts the way I flip contracts, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. That's something that you could be doing in the meantime, but make sure that you are on the waiting list over at motivatedsellermethod.com. So again, guys, we have on Mr. Terry Hill on today's show. Terry Hill is a commercial real estate investor who started out in apartments, then switched to the self-storage space. And thought about diving a little bit into data centers, which I was curious about because nobody, literally nobody has talked about data centers before on the show. So I thought it was a fascinating concept. So we may have to get a data center expert here on the show. If you guys know any, please introduce them to me. I want to meet them. I want to bring them on the show so we could have yet another real estate expertise, another real estate industry that we really haven't talked about or heard about. And see if there's a possible way that some newbie investors can get into that field as well. I hear it's booming and thriving. Terry's going to talk a little bit about it. But again, this is why this show is around. This is what we do. We explore these uncommon strategies to wealth through real estate. 
my strategy, creative financing. I mean, it's so common in small circles, but to the larger audience, it's so uncommon, right? To take down properties subject to the existing loan, to to owner finance properties directly with the seller, not dealing with the bank. So put some tenant buyers in your property so that you can make an extra five, 10, 20, 30, 50 grand even on the same deal. It's absolutely amazing what we're able to do to creative financing, but there are so many niches out there, lucrative niches, that are unheard of to the common person. And that's what we want to bring to light on this show. So if you're down with that, again, make sure you subscribe, leave us a rating and review, preferably a five-star rating and review. And let's get to the show with Mr. Terry Hill. The Ray's Tip of the Week. Okay, so it's been a while, but a longtime sponsor of the show, an Amazon company called Audible, is what this tip of the week is all about. You guys know that on average, I read about a book a week. I've read about 100, 150 books in the past few years, and they've been amazing. Some of these books I've read four, five, six times like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's crazy, I know. But people often ask, Ray, how are you able to get through these books so fast? And it's no secret that there are all types of apps that are out these days that, you know, give you the spark note versions of books and have you reading books in less than five minutes. I think there's, you know, there's an app called Blinkist and there's just all these things that you guys can definitely take advantage of to get the crux of what a book is, is really portraying. Um, if you guys know how I'm wired, I'm not that type of person. I like to be thorough. So I like to read every book, everything that I really do from beginning to end. Right. I'm the person who's like, yeah, I may not be interested in this book, you know, one fourth of the way in or even three fourths of the way in. But I'm still going to finish this book because I started it. I want to read it in its entirety. So the way I do that and still keep up with all these new age things and these summaries and things of that nature, but actually reading the book is through an app called Audible. I use the Audible app. Not only do I use the Audible app to listen to my books rather than read my books physically, because now I can multitask. And I don't mean multitask where I'm not paying attention to the book. I mean, like maybe I'm driving or maybe I'm going for a walk. Right. So I'm getting some exercise in or I'm actually getting to a location. Right. So I can multitask while read my book. So I don't have to set aside an hour in the morning or two hours in the afternoon. I could literally listen to a book all day when I'm in the car. So it brings up my efficiency. But not only do I do that, but this may be weird to a lot of you guys, but I don't listen to my book at one speed or even 1.5 X speed or sometimes not even at 2 X speed. I try to push the limit and it may sound crazy to you. Maybe like, Dre, there's no way you can hear those words or there's no way that you're actually comprehending what you're reading. But after a while, guys, I've been podcasting for four years. I listen to a ton of podcasts. After a while, you kind of get used to it. And at first, the 1.5x speed, even on the podcasting apps, is too fast. But then when you switch to that and you get used to that, you start to realize it's just too slow. They're talking so slow. And then you get up to the 2x speed and, you know, so on and so forth. And and I'm right around 2x, but I know on the Audible app, you can go up to even 4x. I can never do that. I don't think it's humanly possible to do that. But I'm right. I've never been to 3x. It's, I don't think it's possible to do that either. But I'm right around 2x, 2.1, 2.2. Um and it really, really helps me fly through books, right? And what I often do is I'll fly through a book the first time. 
so that now I understand the book. I've read the book. I have the total gist of the book and I could possibly implement some things in the book. But then the second time I go through a book, I go through it a little bit slower to start to understand some of the deeper meaning concepts. And if I really like the book, that's when I order the actual physical book and then pull that out, start doing highlights and all that good stuff. But again, the app that I use to make sure that I can get through books one a week, and it's not a goal of mine. It just happens to be about one a week. This this year, it's been about one every two weeks, but I'm still flying through a whole lot of books. But the app that I use is Audible and Audible is currently running a promotion where you can get your first book, right? These, you know, guys, books are not cheap. If anybody tells you that books are cheap, they're lying to you. The average cost of a book is what, $15, $20. And if you're reading 50 a year, I mean, it really, really adds up. So I want to gift you $15 or $20 or even $30 if you find a book at that price, which you will, because what I'm gifting you is what's called a credit. Okay. And if you take this credit, regardless if the book is $2.99 or $29.99, you get a credit for your next Audible book for free. All you have to do is head over to before the millions.com forward slash book could be okay. That's before the millions.com forward slash book. And once you visit that link, you're going to sign up for an audible account if you haven't already. And your first book is on me. If you're already listening to the podcast, it's a natural transition to be able to listen to audiobooks through audible. So that link one last time is before the millions.com forward slash book. And the way that I actually often used to promote it was you get two free books on me, but there's a little bit of a change in that. So you can still get two free books, but it's for selected individuals. And those selected individuals are individuals who already have a prime. So if you're already using Amazon and you're taking advantage of Amazon Prime where you get super fast shipping, you get prime video access and all these other things. Once you add Audible to the mix you're automatically going to get two free books instead of just one. So you still can't get two free books, but it's for people who have a prime membership. And that is my tip of the week for this week. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. My father is a general contractor and uh, his brothers as well. uh, Three of them. And I watched them work in the hot California sun, man, just grinding it out. And, uh, what got me really inspired was we were doing a ground up development. Uh, it was a commercial project and this individual that showed up, uh, he was the one controlling the job because he was the one paying us to actually do the development. And when I saw that this man had freedom, you know, just the way he carried himself, just, uh, just how he was living his life, it, it truly inspired me. And I said to myself from, from this point on, um, without a shadow of a doubt, what I want to do is I want to be on the other side of the fence. I definitely do not want to be, you know, swinging the hammer. Um, I wanted to be able to put the pen to paper and be able to control certain projects, certain asset classes, and be able to take things to the next level. Oh, it's in my office. Sorry. So what's up? What happened from there was uh, quickly I, I dove in. Um, I actually asked for help. And a lot of people don't, you know, people get stuck in, in this, in this, in this world thinking that there are, there's nobody there to help you. Maybe you've got this job that you're in or you're supporting somebody else in their dreams and endeavors. For me, it was a little bit different, uh, DeRay, because I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to see how this person achieved that level of success. And once I did so, um, they brought me under their wing and boy, did they work me. They worked me for five years. 
Um, and uh, they gave me 5% of every deal uh, that I worked. And at that point in time, I got my financial legs down. And I decided that from that point on, um, there's no looking back until, uh, until the banks told me that they couldn't loan me any money. And that real, was, that real, real quick, sir, what were, were you doing for one? Excuse me? Oh, I was doing, uh, front end acquisitions. Um, he taught me how to go and locate property, um, property that was done through a conventional manner. Um, everything that I'm against today, which is, which is pretty crazy. Um, and here's why. It's because I was out there identifying opportunities and I was just out there making these lowball offers, utilizing certain formulas like capitalization rate, um, looking at the gross income, minusing it off using very conservative expense and vacancy ratios. So it was basically hunting for unicorns in the forest, man. That's basically what it was. It was very difficult. And we got a handful of projects, um, you know, with a stroke of luck. Um, that was because I, I harnessed the knowledge and I was actually, you know, in a position that I had relentlessness for success because I didn't want to have to go back to, to my day job being a contractor. And so looking at, at, at the, the dynamic of, of doing things in a conventional manner, man, if you got really deep pockets, you know, um, and you got tons of, tons of capital, um, maybe inheritance money, then you can use these conventional methodology. But with, with where I was at, you know, I built everything on, on the basis of, of a ground you know, foundation and then building upon that. So what I was doing was I was buying retail and seriously overpaying for property. And that's when the banks came to me and they said, hey, look, we can't loan you any money any longer. Like we've had this great relationship, but your debt to income ratio is thrown off. You guarantee too much debt, man. We can't loan you any money. I said, well, I know what I'm doing. I got this, this track record. They said, that's fine, but you guarantee too much debt. So I had to re reverse engineer all my thinking and we can get into that in a minute, but everything that I'm doing today is entirely different from when I started out way back when. And um, for your listeners, I know we got, um, you shared, you know, that, that there's, there's people that are on that are professionals and I get that. Um, and if you want to really jump into commercial real estate, you don't have to start off with a duplex or a triplex or, you know, one of these quads, you can actually jump in five plus units as commercial. So you can jump in and do something much larger. Um, but timing is key. Timing is everything. You mentioned that there was a conventional route that people take. And I want you to kind of dive deep into what you mean by that conventional route. And then, and then what is juxtaposed to that route? Like what is, what is the other side of the conventional route look like? Yeah. So the conventional route is everything that pretty much all of us know, right? You walk into a bank, they're going to want to see tax returns. They're going to want to see bank statements for at least two years. They're going to want to see a somewhat of a track record. Um, they want to they want to lower all their risk. So if you have any assets, they're going to see exactly what your Schedule E looks like on your tax return. They're going to see exactly what you own. And the reason for that is because they want you to cross collateralize, meaning put up all of that all of that hard work, all that equity, everything that you've built, your whole entire portfolio. The banks really want to just you know mitigate the risk down to nothing if they possibly can. Then you have to personally guarantee that's a recourse loan. And so that's the conventional route, right? You have to put down 20 to 30% down, and then you can only buy certain product. And so you're out there hunting again for these unicorns in the forest because you're looking to get a great deal on something that's already stabilized and that's at market occupancy. And across the nation, 85% is a general rule of thumb for market occupancy. So if, if someone tells you to go try to find a deal, this is what I did the first five years of my career, you know? Somebody says, go find a deal that's got higher than an eight cap and a capitalization rate is a double digit or a single digit number that these investors and sellers and brokers use to gauge the value of a property. 
and how they get to that, that, form, that formula, that number, it's the gross income, meaning all the money that the property makes, minus out all of the expenses. They have to be correct itemized expenses. And typically we use a ratio of 30% expense ratio. Then you have to factor in a 10% for vacancy and then another 5% for something called CapEx, which is your capital expenditures, meaning what condition is the property? What year is the property built? What's left in the years of the roof? What's left in the years of, of the walls and everything else? So you got to allocate another 5% for that. So since you're minusing out all of these expenses, then what you're left with is your net income. And the formula for capitalization rate is your NOI divided by the purchase price that you're paying for it equals the cap rate. So it's the NOI divided by a purchase price equals the cap rate. So the double digit, the number is better for the buyer. I mean, if you could find a property and ever buy it for anything north of eight, like a nine cap or a 10 cap, you're getting a smoking deal. I mean, you're truly buying it on its as is value and you're getting a great deal. There's something called as is value and performa. So the conventional, these people are paying for a future value add scenario and they're overpaying for the property. And that's how you can really get in trouble in commercial. See, in conventional, you can only buy what's bankable, what's financeable, right? So when I reverse engineered my thinking, and this is now the other side of the, of the table, right? This is where I'm at today. And this is where I was after that five years of pain. <laughs> and I learned a lot. Don't get me wrong. It was great. And I, I got my financial legs. I did build wealth, right? I was good, but I wanted more. And, you know, it just, it comes down to the fact that if I'm looking at property that's a value add because it has vacancy, low rents, mismanagement, maybe inheritance property, partners feuding, scenario where someone's just out of gas. Unfortunately, if someone's um, not doing well in their health, all these reasons, there's, there's, there's these properties that are sitting. And if they have less occupancy, then it's considered a liability, not an asset. And it's not bankable. You can't get financing on that. Not even a hard money lender would want a loan on a property like that because it's too much risk, right? So what I've identified is that if I can go ahead and acquire these properties, I can eliminate banks. And how do I do that? I eliminate banks because there's two ways to buy it. One way is to pay a really, really low price, like buying it for 20, 30 cents on the dollar, kind of the way I was buying in the beginning of my career. Or to second that, the actual seller becomes the bank and they carry the note. If there's existing debt in first place, meaning first position, what we do is we do a seller finance wrap. We keep that loan in the seller's name, minus our down payment. Then we create a second and that second seller finance note. And then we perform on the project. And this way, all the reasons that I justify back to the seller that they should carry paper, that it's advantageous for them, that it's a better situation for them to carry paper. One, they don't have to pay capital gains. They're only paying on their own income and whatever tax you know state they're at. Um, I also, if it's a deed state, I do a deed in lieu of foreclosure. That way, if I miss three consecutive payments, they don't have to go through judicial foreclosure. And then I also put together a performance clause, which says that, hey, I'm not going to let this property get totally vacant. I'm going to keep it where it's at, stabilize where it's at, and increase the value by filling the, the actual vacancy and raising rents. And then I also have a, a, a deferred maintenance clause that says that the property is not going to go into a bad, a bad position um, uh, physically. So with all these elements in place, I've justified every single reason, just like a bank, every single reason, all these provisions inside of my seller financed uh, language, um, all these reasons that, that it points to yes, and all the boxes are checked. And I've been doing that type of operation with seller financing uh, for the last 20 years of my career. 
So just kind of think about the story that you've kind of laid out when you're juxtaposing the conventional way as opposed to the creative way, which is what I like to call it. You're putting yourself, you're putting your seller, you're putting your end buyer, you're putting all of you guys in a much more advantageous position. I share a very similar story in the single family space. Like when I first started buying property, you know, I was buying single family homes with conventional financing. I got to a point where I couldn't qualify for financing anymore. It was like, okay, well, what do I do? Well, do I start raising money from investors? Do I do this? Do I do, 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 I do that? And ultimately, I turned to wholesaling. And I realized even talking to sellers, like, man, like my close rate is really, really low. Like I have to put in this formula. This formula doesn't always work for what the seller needs. So, you know, it's a hit or a miss. It's like having a size seven shoe size and that's all you have in stock as a shoe salesman. And you got all these people that help all, all these shoe sizes and you can't, you can't serve them because you only have one size. Like it's like, Hey, you either wear a size seven or you don't. I can't really help you if you don't wear a size seven. And mm-hmm. through that process, again, kind of going with, through what you're going through, I realized like, man, like if I just have more tools in my tool belt, if I get a little bit more creative, start, if I start working with sellers, I'm able to actually do more deals. I'm able to actually stock more shoe sizes and really help everybody who's actually motivated. Like if you're motivated, I can figure something out, right? Moving forward down your journey, what do you think geared you towards more self-storage as opposed to the traditional apartment? Yeah. So, you know, there is always that different niche. Uh, and they say there's riches and niches. I get it, you know. Um, and I've, I've played with all property type. Part of one of my, one of my uh, ways that I've, I've been teaching and training people over the years, uh, spanning across my 15-year uh, platform of training, um, what, I, what I've done is I've shared different strategies for different property types. But my strategies work across the board for all. But what I fell into what's the two best ways to profit from commercial real estate. And like I said earlier, beginning of the call, it's all about timing. Everything's about time. You know, like current right now, where we're at right now to timestamp this, um, you know, there's a situation happening and we all know this, you know, interest rates are really low. Um, you know, we had the COVID-19, 50 million people unemployed. The CDC just posted current on this timestamp that um, there's a moratorium on evictions. Um, multifamily is not the best property type to get into right now. Um, especially low-income housing. There's a problem. We got a homeless problem. I mean, there's all kinds of problems out there. So, what do you gravitate towards in a situation like that? You know, I always say that I get into a recessionary-proof property type due to the cyclical nature of business, and timing is key. You're not going to jump into retail and offices right now. You're not going to go buy an office building because you know businesses are going out. Some may never come back. Um, you know, the big corporate conglomerates are crushing mom and pop. So you got to look at it. Um, distribution with Amazon and everything that's going on, right? I mean, you're going to go buy a, a big, you know, distribution warehouse. I don't think so, right? Um, you know, all these all these big boxes. We're not going to get into. We're not going to get into retail and office. We're not going to get into hotels and motels. People are not traveling. Um, there's a situation there. Unpredictable income. So what is rock solid? You know, I mean, mobile home parks again. It's not a bad property type with, during the right time, but. I, I believe I'm a firm believer, right? My crystal ball's in the shop, but I'm a firm believer with common sense is that it's going to take a while for this to snap back. There's going to be people in the world to hurt. It's not that they're bad people, but it, it's not going to get back anytime soon. So self-storage is, is ideal. You know, every tenant is month to month. The average person stays a year. The average business stays two years. Um, you can do a nuisance rent increase. Uh, people keep their stuff for all types of reasons, like nostalgic value. Um, you know, uh, they, they're close to their their items. Um, there's family heirlooms. There's all kinds of reasons people keep stuff. But the average rent 
if we look at it across the board, it could be, you know, anywhere from 500 to, you know, like out here in Malibu, California, where I'm located, you're at 5,000 to $10,000 a month for rent. Where, where if you're in, uh, you know, a self-storage, even out here, self-storage is only, could be a hundred bucks, you know, to rent a 10 by 10, uh, maybe 150, but, you know, across the nation, it could be even less, it could be 60. Um, so that little dollar amount, someone will always pay it. Even if they're a month or two behind, they'll always pay it. When they see that an auction's coming, they're going to lose their items. They'll always pay, typically. So it is a recessionary-proof property. It's the second lowest on the risk scale, which is posted by uh, Storage Brokers of America. And the one less than self-storage is data centers. And I'm a firm believer as well that we're always going to need to house more data because technology is constantly evolving, and that's great. But for me, um, self-storage, it's uh, third-party management for collections, uh, marketing management. We automate, we modernize the facility. We use companies like Easy Storage Solutions, which is a great company and I endorse them. Um, don't worry, I don't get any kickbacks. <laughs> but uh, they, they handle all of the uh, incoming outgoing calls, as I mentioned, and customer service. And what happens is we just spend uh, 2000 bucks and you get a new control panel and you can give individual gate codes and you can lock people out and give people um, uh, you know, new gate codes for new customers. And once the facility's on full lockdown and it's a cash cow, you know, these are properties that you can stabilize and, and you can do a, a nuisance rent increase, uh, even if you do it once a year, uh, just five or 10 bucks, you know, that adds value to the property over the, over the course of a hundred units. You could make yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars just for a nuisance rent increase. And then when, the, when it's stabilized, you can do a cash out refinance. So a lot of times we put down, you know, 90% seller financing, get in for 10% down, say on a million dollar property. So hopefully that doesn't scare anybody here when I say million, because it's really a small property. A um, million dollar purchase price, 90% seller carry, uh, regardless if there's existing debt or not, we wrap it. Uh, we put down 100 grand plus for capital expenditures, the CapEx that I had mentioned earlier. We set aside cash reserves. So a property like that would get into for like 200. Um, we, you know, typically it'd take maybe 10 to 15,000 if it's not fence gated with a new control panel. And um, it's an e-commerce platform plug and play for uh, easy storage. And then the expense, you don't have a manager. They're like $6,000 a year. That's your annual expense. And so now all of a sudden, more cash in, less cash out, you're making money. I mean, these, these properties produce massive amounts of money and they are absolutely red hot right now. And, and the industry, it, you know, it's seeing um, a surge of, of people jumping more into self-storage right now than any other property type. So again, timing is key. And so, yeah, man, timing is key. It's important. <laughs> Here, when, when you think about your your introduction to self-storage, how much convincing did it take for you to really just be like, all right, this this sounds good. Again, coming from the apartment space, it's just like, no, like, I think I have the best the best performing, you know, uh, vehicle. And then you hear all the you know points that you so eloquently laid out. I mean, how much convincing did it take? And then one, once you did get in, how did the process differ from an acquisition standpoint? It's totally different. You know, so many people don't understand self-storage. It's just out of their wheelhouse until like what I just explained to, to all your listeners. You know, people look at it and it's just one of those property types where they're intrigued by it. 
but they really, they think that it's just a little bit of money coming in and it's basically apartments without the people. You got all their stuff, but you don't have the people. You don't have the problems. Everybody's heard no toilets, no trash, no tenants. Everybody hears that. It's been around for a while. But, you know, the acquisition aspect of it, um, when people are tired of self-storage, um, there's all kinds of unique situations. And most of the properties that we pursue are off market. Um, and I'll give you an example. Um, I had, uh, since you're in Texas, I, I was the owner of the only two storage facilities in Teague, Texas, which is just South Dallas, right? Little town called Teague. And um, when we when we acquired uh, those properties, you know, it was one was basically um, totally vacant. Uh, the person was just out of gas. Um, they didn't want to have the property any longer. And then the second one, which was larger, 171 units. Um, it was uh, a gentleman who who actually did a ground up development, built it. Um, he passed away, so he, you know, his, his wife uh, uh, who had it, um, their son was running it and wasn't doing a great job. Didn't understand how to automate, modernize the facility, so it wasn't offered with seller financing. And you know, we we turned that property around by repositioning it. Uh, within the first 120 days, we took something that was operating at 30% economic occupancy that was not bankable. And 120 days, you know, we're, we're basically the big fish in the small pond, and we still were able to fill it. Um, because we understand how to utilize technology, understand how to plug and play that e-commerce platform, how to get the old school style Google pin, how to write content, how to actually get some eyeballs on you, become a member of the Chamber of Commerce, put a face to the project, have pride of ownership brand it, get the message out to the market, both for individuals and for businesses. So once we, once we do that, um, you know, we, we become, you know, we become this, uh, we become this kind of a power play uh, scenario, but if someone's just starting out and you're not, you know, a power player just yet, um, you don't have to have all this credibility to get into self-storage like you have to for, for multifamily usually, you know, for multifamily, it's such a tight market and you're out there and it's so noisy. And everybody really bets the heck out of you. And for self-storage, they just, it's a different business, man. It's boxes on dirt. They're not going to bet you the same way. Absolutely. When you think about how efficient we are becoming as real estate investors, and maybe not efficient, but how much more access everybody has to data, how much more access we have to each other. Um, you know, going back to the multifamily space, I just think about like how many syndicators have hundreds of students that are looking for deals for them. And, you know, that everybody knows these formulas, like, you know, you so eloquently, you know, laid out a little bit earlier. When I look 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the future, we don't have, you know, Joe Sally and Bob May who are, you know, operating uh, a multifamily building, you know, less than to, you know, less than it's a efficient capabilities like there's i mean there, there'll be cases like that every once in a while but I, I feel as though with the new onslaught of just the investor mindset and how many people are jumping into these markets like it's going to be a lot more efficient in the future if that makes any sense what do you what do you think about that analysis and what do you think about how things could possibly be in the next 10 20 30 years just from an efficiency standpoint trying to find deals and ultimately still having deals on the market yeah, it's a really good uh, concept and, you know, forward thinking, you know, like I said earlier, the crystal ball thing, meaning that we could all have predictions, but we really don't know what what's going to happen in the future. But common sense, I, I always say common sense, that's not so common. You know, it, what could happen is a few things, right? 
And I, I kind of, I've been teaching and talking about this for a while as far as like Walmart, which is obviously a huge corporate, right? Um, people think Walmart is in the business of selling, you know, plastic goods or if they're a super Walmart, right? Um, all types of things. Um, but the fact is, you know, Walmart is in the land business of purchasing land, a lot like McDonald's purchases the corners. When, you know, Walmart comes into town, they have these four projections of 10 years and 20 years. The average Walmart purchase, when they come into a small tertiary market, they do a 20-year projection. And when they come into town, you see the Walmart. That's not the time to jump. Oh, Walmart's in town. Let's move on that. It's not. They're still way far away. Their 20-year projection. Then what they do on their 10-year projection on that 10th year, they've already purchased a bunch of strategically laid out uh, tracks of land, you know, 43,560 square feet, one acre. I mean, they're buying a lot of land, I can assure you. And they turn the zoning from that agricultural purchase on one acre over to the per square foot at 43,560. So now they're, they're just making tons of money, kind of like what happened in Frisco, Texas, when you could buy acreage for pretty cheap at one point in time. And now it's up to, you know, uh, close to $45, $50 a square foot. So it changes, right? Like Las Vegas, it changes. All these areas change. So on their 10-year projection, what they do is they bring in a super Walmart. What's the difference between a Walmart and super Walmart? Well, there's a supermarket. So, you know, uh, food expires where plastic items don't. So when they bring in a super, super Walmart, then you know that that projection is even bigger. Well, self-storage is a lot Along, along the same lines of the corporates that are out there, like the public storage and some of these huge cheap smarts and big boxes, they'll do way more due diligence than we will ever do as, as single investors, right? Because they're corporate. They raise tons of capital and they go and they, they, they finalize where they're going to be moving into what markets. But what happens when you're bringing in all these different levels of, of, of self-storage development you know, you got your first generation barn door, second generation roll top, third generation climate control. More and more, I believe, self-storage is going to be developed. There's already tons of it being developed. We just saw that there was a, um, a Kmart grocery store, uh, big box that was purchased and they converted it over to something um, called self-storage world. And I believe that deal sitting somewhere on the internet. They're trying to sell it for some crazy amount, like 18 million. But more and more of that's going to happen where they're going to take these big boxes that are already built and they're just going to convert them to self-storage. So what happens in that marketplace? It becomes saturated. That's the bad thing. When a market's saturated, we don't go into it. And you can Google. So you just have your address and the property that's in question that you're looking on your acquisition. And then just use the power of, of your Google search or whatever search engine. And then you just put in self-storage near and then you pop in that address. Now, it's, Google will map it out and will show you exactly how many facilities are in that area. If you see a lot of pins all over the place, man, you got to ask yourself, you want to be the small fish in the big pond, right? Because you're going to have all that competition. So we look for moratoriums when they can't develop any more self-storage. And I'm giving away some of my secret sauce, which is okay, because I love to pay it forward. But we do look for more. Yeah, man. Well, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if, if anybody knows who the Panthers are, um, they just got into uh, um, Rock Hill, South Carolina. And um, they're slating a $32 million development project. And uh, one minute from there, uh, we did an acquisition on a self-storage facility. Um, we also noted that there's a moratorium on self-storage in that area, so they're not going to be building anymore. So what that means is that what we can do is just expand upon our existing storage. And how do we expand our storage if there's a moratorium? What we do is we work with companies like Janus International out of Georgia. That's their headquarters. And we can bring in... Um, already built boxes like shipping container style boxes 
Um, they could be moved with a four-ton forklift. So you can bypass any uh, regulations from municipalities across the nation because you can move oh, it. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's yeah, that's that's some, that's some super secret sauce. I love that. Cheers. <laughs> why why do you uh why do you shy away from data centers? What what again? When you first got into self storage, you were you were, you were quote unquote an apartment guy, and you found a new shiny object. You was like, yes, this this is it. And then data centers, you said it's number one, and it has all these benefits. Why shy away from it? It's just one of those things. It's just yet to evolve in my mindset. Um, I'm comfortable with, with, you know, what I do. I always say the day I stop learning is the day I die. So I'm always looking into it. It's just one of those, one of those facts that, you know, uh, it's kind of like, you know, taking advantage of like tax credits. There's only a handful of people out there that control and sell these huge tax credits. It's a great thing to get into. I'd love to get into it, but now I'm dealing with fierce competition. You know, we all have so much time in a day, a week, a month, and a year. So taking the path of least resistance is natural for us humans. And, you know, the psychology behind that is do more of what works. And I'm a huge follower of, of Warren Buffett, and I call it Buffettisms. <laughs> and uh, a couple of things that, that Warren says, which really resonates with me, is that we don't look for seven-foot bars to jump over. We look for six-inch bars to step over. And, you know, we look at a lot of pitches, and we swing when we're getting comfortable. And so for that reason, man, I just do more of what works for me and what more works for my, my clients. And that's the thing too. So if I got into this data center and I was the, one of the guys that's up there in that, in that space um, and I went and started teaching that to others, that's going to be um, a trial and error type of run. And my clients more than likely would have struggles. And where we're at today, there's really, we, we, we eliminate the struggles because we're eliminating banks. We're working with motivated sellers that have to sell, not just want to sell. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Absolutely. When you think about that first time investor who's just like, all right, I, I, I hate it here. I want to quit my job, kind of how we talked about before the show. And they've listened to this podcast episode all the way through and they're like, all right, Terry, all this sounds amazing. I'm sold on, I'm sold on, you know, um, the storage space. What's next? What do, what, what's the first step? What do I do? How do I, who do I contact? What do I read? Where do I put my money? I mean, where, what advice do you have for this individual? Yeah. So I would say that you could easily chase the next shiny thing. You could get bogged down watching, you know, YouTube videos and attending webinars and training of, of all different types. And you really got to know, you know, who's the real deal because listening to broke people, um, as we all know, uh, it's not sound advice. It's not great advice, you know? And, and, and so I'll give you an example. Um, we're working a project right now, actually uh, down in, uh, over by Galveston Island. I can't give away the exact location, but we're still working on it. Although it'll probably be tied up by the time uh, this airs, but uh, nevertheless, um, it's right by Galveston Island. And um, the deal is sitting right now at an attorney's office because they're trying to get advice from the attorney. I can assure you that attorney, and, um, and I'm not saying this because I'm wealthy, but I'm saying that I can assure you that that attorney has not done as many transactions as I have. And what attorneys do is attorneys kill deals. Um, mm -hmm. You're an attorney and you're on the call with all due respect. I'm just saying that they need to create a way to earn their capital. So they're going to grind through the deal and find all the reasons why somebody should not do it and advise them of the safest way. And the safest way to do a transaction is not to do it. So that's what happens. Um, so to use that analogy, as far as the learning curve, I would say, make sure that you're learning from somebody that you vetted properly 
to ensure that you can move forward and duplicate their success. And um, I'm always uh, I'm open to engage with people. I love it. When you think about the the maybe the first steps, like let's just say, you know, whether they work with you or they work with another person or they try to do it on their own, what are some of those initial things that you should start to do if you're looking to get in the self-storage space? So first thing I would say is get familiar with any area. Um, and so if you're going to, I use this. If you're blindfolded and you have a, a handful of darts and you're spun around and then you're standing in front of the, the map and you're a little dizzy and you're throwing darts against the map, it's not going to make any sense. Like, why are you looking in this area, right? The, the internet is a great resource. Um, there's a couple websites and we all probably know loopnet.com, but then there's also Crexy and another one's Argus. Those are really good um, self-storage uh, platforms to locate property. But I would encourage people just to... Get on the get on the phone. You know, speak with a a actual broker, self storage broker, a specialist that just in that immediate area that you're um, looking at, and and create a relationship. Um, I called this gentleman yesterday. His name's Carson, and I had a a talk with this man, and and we were talking about this brand new self storage that was just listed same day. Um, it pinged me on my inbox. Uh, because I actually do the business of acquisitions. Even today, we have an in-house acquisitions team. And so I instantly you know, left the guy a message and he called me back. And the message that I left him, it was very detailed. You know, um, I told him that I was interested in the area. We own other projects in the area. And I had some you know, uh, sense of urgency and told him that I wanted to perform on closing another project. And we're coming out of a 1031 exchange and, and this could be a great uh, cash play if there's an le- opportunity to leverage great, but give me a call. And, you know, my phone rang and I had a conversation with them. And that's what I encourage everybody to do. You know, um, you wonder why, like we just closed out, you know, Jonesboro, Arkansas. Um, it was a wholesale deal. We flipped it. Um, we had it for two weeks and we made $102,000 um, because we struck the right terms. We never went to the property. Um, it was a wholesale opportunity. We decided not to close on it ourselves and add it to the portfolio. And that's exactly what we do. You know, you can do it two ways. You can close it and hold it, reposition it, stabilize it, and get the cash flow every month. Or what you can do is create these terms and take the paper from one side of the table, bring it to the other side of the table, and cash out. And, you know, uh, I cash out all the time. I say everything's for sale but the wife, the dog, and the kid. So, hey, you know, if I can cash out, and like I, I cashed out on Wichita. I did a deal in Wichita. Um, I've never even been to Kansas, not once in my life. I've flown over it several times, but I've never actually been on the ground. We located a property in Wichita, Kansas, tied up for $700,000. Um, we did seller finance terms on it. Uh, it was a larger project, over 380 units. And we put it out to my buyer's club uh, just to test the water to see if somebody would want to bite. Um, I ended up wholesaling that project for $1,050,000. Yeah. And I decided to take that money because I looked at what it was going to take for me to make that same amount of capital, how many months and how many years would it take? And it was something uh, along the lines of four and a half years. And I said, you know, that's a long time, four and a half years to make that kind of money. Yeah, there's appreciation, depreciation and cash flow, but sometimes you just want to cash out, take your chips and run into the next deal. And there's nothing wrong with doing so. It's ethical, it's moral, and it feels good to get those kind of windfalls and paydays. 
Absolutely, man. Terry, you are speaking my language. Again, I do uh, very similar creative financing strategies in the, in the single family space. We have a, a property under contract right now uh, for 390. I could sell it at 440, make anywhere from 30 to 40 grand, or I can keep the property in my portfolio and start making about four to five grand a month um, as a as a short term rental, which is not my specialty. But again, it can cash flow really, really well. But I'd rather just get in, get out, get some money and move on to the next deal just because I have the property under contract via subject too. So it's it provides a lot, a lot of a lot of creativity um, whenever you do learn and and um and harness the tools that we're talking about here on today's show. Sure. Again, going back to that first time investor, when you think about the fact that there are there, there's probably one thing that's going to get the needle moving for a lot of people, would you consider that, and you can be outside of these two things, but would you consider it networking with brokers or learning how to truly underwrite a deal? That's a, that's a really, really great topic. So, and there's two parts to that. So connecting with a broker, if you're speaking for purpose and clarity and you have the just of what it is, then it's fine to communicate that message and to, you know, look at a very simple bullet point line item of acquisition criteria. And that's where I started out because, you know, this gentleman came to me, um, his name's Ray, by, by the way. And when Ray came to me at one point in time, he, he said, hey, what, uh, what I want you to do is look for this, 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 and this. Well, I, I didn't know how to underwrite a project. I didn't have a financial background. You know, I was fresh out of college swinging a hammer. So, you know, um, there was a learning curve. But the, the great thing is you can be proactive and start, you know, finding these projects and locating them, utilizing the right acquisition criteria. But I believe that to make the best connection when you're going to actually close a property and do the actual transaction yourself, it's very, very important to be lucky. Identify luck is to have knowledge and action and persistence because, you know, you can't, you can't mistake motion for action just because you're making a phone call. doesn't mean you're actually taking action. I mean, you gotta, you gotta harness the right knowledge, understand how to underwrite, understand how to take market rent, understand what the current rent is, understand the actual itemized expenses, you know, understand that if there's flaws in itemized expenses, there's going to be a flaw in the cap rate and there's a flaw in the net income. Um, And don't, you know, don't do the rookie thing. The rookie mistake is that, you know, we take these brokers as, as authority figures, like they're in the know because they have a license. Mm. Right. And this is a really good bit of advice, just like attorneys. Brokers are no different. And I don't mean any disrespect, any brokers on the phone. Maybe you're extremely knowledgeable, not on the phone, but on the call. Maybe you're extremely knowledgeable and I respect that. But I'm just saying that across across the board, a lot of times brokers, they just have a license and it doesn't give them the level of authority. Um, I have two licenses actually. I'm very important. I got a marriage license and I got a driver's license. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely. I, I tell people the exact same thing all the time. You know, um, it, it's just one of those things where you just look to them as an authority. You shouldn't always do that. So um, when you when you think about the space that you're in, again, I want to go back to self storage one last time. Just recently, over the past five years, there have been probably many things that you've heard on podcasts, you've seen on stage, you've seen at conferences, you've heard all types of advice in the self storage space. Some you agree with, some you don't. The things that you really don't agree with, I want to set the record straight for maybe that one thing, right? Where you've got, you've heard this bad recommendation over and over and over again in the self storage space. And you want to just kind of set the record straight as to, as to why this is a bad recommendation and, and what we should actually be doing. 
what is that piece of advice and how, how would you counter that? Hmm. I, I think that the, one of the things that I hear constantly over and over again from these so-called niche specialists that are out there, um, you know, they, they're talking about utilizing a capitalization rate when you're buying property. And it's basically a one prong approach. Um, it's kind of like putting on, you know, horse blinders and just looking for that one diamond in the rough, right? Where I use a three prong approach. Um, what I do is I look at the current income on actuals. And people always say it's okay to purchase on performa, meaning future value, hope, speculation, what it could be worth one day. I always, this is, this is absolutely mandatory. I always purchase on the as is value, as is where is in its current state and its current condition. I could care less what the future value looks like. I'm not paying for potential. And with that, um, I use my three-prong approach. I look at dollar per door. I look at dollar per net rentable square feet. And I also look at current net income. And I do perform on properties that are typically at eight cap or higher with seller finance terms. And I'm purchasing property at about uh, $25 per net rentable square feet to $40 net rentable square feet. And per door, I'm anywhere from two to 3,500. So 2,000 to 3,500 per door. So with that three-prong approach, man, it's so fast to take all the noise that's out there, all that loud noise of everything that everybody's teaching and doing and really using certain uh, key identifiers and narrowing it down and shrinking the market space until it's actually, you know, palatable. Um, when I'm speaking with brokers, I'll give you a, a prime example. Um, people think that, you know, these brokers that are out there um, that they always want to list properties that are distressed. Uh, I had this uh, this broker out of Lubbock, Texas, actually, um, and his name is John, and he's a self-storage uh, broker specialist. And I went to John and I said, John, I got this deal out in Glen Rose. Uh, it's Rainbow is the area. It's uh, over by Fort Worth. And I said, I got this deal and I want to I go ahead and just get rid of it because it's a little small for my portfolio. And he said, what's the current economic occupancy? And I told him, and he said, where's the physical occupancy? And I told him, and he said, I can't take on that deal. He's like, you need to get your, your economic occupancy up to higher than, higher than where your physical is, and then I'll take it on. And I said, why is that? He says, because I'm going to field too many calls, and all you're going to do is get lowball offers because people are going to see that it's distressed. And so, you know, my point being is that if you're going to be using this cap rate and paying over, over uh, ask price or buying on pro forma, um, it's a huge misconception and, and that's kind of the way people lose their shirt. That's how they, they trickle into becoming distressed sellers, motivated sellers. They own it for a short period of time. They get into it. They think they can, they can operate properly, but they find out that they overpaid. Absolutely. I love that. Great, 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 great advice. Now, last question before we get to the last and final segment. When you feel overwhelmed, maybe unfocused, or you just lost focus temporarily, what do you do to get yourself back in alignment? And if it helps, what questions do you maybe ask yourself? So, you know, um, well, there's a couple couple different uh, scenarios there, right? So is it a life question or just an acquisition question? So, no, no, this is, this, is, this is on life. This is life. This is, life. This, is, this is Terry's everyday life. Like, oh my goodness, I got, I got this student doing this. This is going wrong with the podcast. And, you know, the kids just you know, through, I don't know, whatever, but yeah, this is just life in, in general. And it can be, it can be business with acquisitions and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. I totally get it. 
you know, um, when it, when it comes to, you know, life, I, I do have a, a young family. I got a seven and a half year old son. Um, and, um, I'm fortunate to live out here in Malibu, California, um, on a very prestigious, um, it's almost like an Island out here. And, uh, we have a private, uh, a private beach that uh, only the residents, uh, can go to. And there's a very small handful of us. So it's a very exclusive, uh, world known pretty much, uh, um, spot in Malibu. And so when, when life gets a little hectic for me, you know, I, uh, I take a, I take a jog and, um, and I go down to that beach and I take a minute, you know, I just do a little, a little meditation and I just get back to it. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with, with going sideways with stress, especially in a time like this, but you can find your quiet space and it doesn't have to be on a pretty beach. It can be, you know, in, in your bedroom with the door shut and just take a minute for yourself. I think it's really important to do that, you know, to really, to, to go back to the basics and, and the basics to me is like the root of the problem. Um, it's very easy to get stressed out. You know, they say that the average human only uses 10% of their brain, um, which is pretty amazing. So the fact that there's so much else going on in there, we actually create problems and we don't realize it because we're bored. You know, the average person's psychology of the human brain, I went through something called transformation therapy. And, um, and when I did so, it was just more so about controlling my mindset to say, hey, you can accomplish anything that you put your mind to. And that's absolutely true. You can also get stressed out and create problems that are not actually there. And we're natural problem solvers. So have you ever been stressed out about something? All of a sudden, it just materializes and it, it fixes itself, right? Um, and we just create the stress and drama. So that's how I kind of get back on track to it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. We are also natural problem making machines. (laughs) I love it. I love it. But I love what you do to kind of to kind of take away from that. That that's definitely helpful. This episode is brought to you by PropStream. Oh, before PropStream. Before PropStream, I struggled with subpar list providers that overcharged, wasted gas going to the county courthouse only for them to run out of CD ROM copies of this month's liens list. I wrongly estimated repair costs or just simply lacked the access to the MLS that I truly needed to get deals done. I mean, it was a nightmare networking with realtors hoping to get access to their software. To make things worse, I did marketing on a bunch of different platforms, all of which, by the way, came with the monthly costs. And I would grab my CD-ROM, I would head home, I would convert it, I would upload the list to a skip trace service and then a ringless voicemail service and then a postcard service and so on. Wasting hours and missing potential deals. By the time I was finally in a position to talk to a seller, my leads were stale and I had to start over again since I wasn't able to get real-time updates of properties that sold or were taken off the market. Lots of real estate investors are in this position and lots of real estate investors are losing. Last year, I specifically brought PropStream specialists in-house to revamp our lead generation systems and it was instantly a game changer. Not only is PropStream one system that houses all my leads and is updated in real time, but this system has MLS level data, even in non-disclosure states like Texas, where I invest. So now we run our own comps, our own rehab estimates, our own title searches, all of this in one app. Yes, one single app. And here's the kicker. That just scratches the surface of the power of this app. We also generate all of our leads lists with this app from pre-foreclosures to bankruptcy and tax liens by by county courthouse. 
And then once we have those dynamic lists, we can also use PropStream to market to those leads with postcards, email marketing, voice drops, and they even throw in unlimited number of landing pages so that you can have a site up and running in less than three minutes. Obviously, something like this should cost easily hundreds or thousands of dollars, but for less than $100 a month, you could own the most powerful real estate tool that I've probably ever seen. For the listeners of this show, make sure you head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash deal. That's D-E-A-L, beforethemillions.com forward slash deal for a few dollars off of your monthly subscription. I went from seven different apps to operate my business down to two once I made the switch to PropStream. And more than anything, really, it's provided me and my team with more clarity and peace of mind. That link again is beforethemillions.com forward slash deal to gain access to the all-in-one real estate tool that'll transform your business. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? I would have to say, again, back to mindset. And a lot of people have read this book. Some people maybe have it. I encourage you to. They also have an audio version. But Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich is one of those books that really tells stories without telling you what to do. You figure it out. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Great recommendation. And yes, a popular recommendation as well. Uh, What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Hmm. Um, Well, I mean, uh, I use uh, LoopNet on my app and that (laughs) comes through because that's my business. So I would have to say that if you're in the business and you want to be a part of doing something that you have to be in it, like immerse yourself in it. Yeah. No, no better app than to be in the business than LoopNet. And uh, that app will be in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? What I love most about my lifestyle is um, my friends, my family, and my team in-house. I have a lot of support around me and that comes with a lot of respect as well. And you know, it's, it's earned. And uh, just like trust, uh, you can't just ask somebody to trust you. You have to be the best you and you have to be positive, meaning be optimistic, but also be realistic and tell it like it is without having a layer of fluff. And I think when you're the real deal um, and you're the best you, that it resonates with other people and the people show up. Absolutely. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Yeah, I'd say the sacrifice was um, not being able to have a family until I went into retirement. Um, And um, I went into retirement just before 40. Um, Then I had my son. Can we have a whole podcast episode on this, please? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a big story behind it too. And, uh, and so that's a pretty, pretty massive sacrifice. Um, and, uh, and I, I most certainly want as much time as I can have with my, with my son, but um, I'm definitely breeding a winner and, uh, and a lot of respect and a lot of love goes into it. Was that a conscious or unconscious sacrifice at the time? Unconscious. Okay. So it wasn't anything that you decided. Okay. Got it. I was so immersed. You're, you're just speaking to a, a, a young single man. So I'm just, okay, got it. <laughs> it was unconscious. I mean, 
I was flying around, you know, I was flying around, I was a jet setter and I, I did a lot, you know, um, and for those that don't understand my exact story, I know it's a lengthy story, so I can't get into it right now, but you know, the fact is I'm 25 years in this business. I'm a dinosaur. I mean, um, I co-authored a book with Ron Legrand in 2003, for those of you who know Mr. Legrand. And so, you know, I was flying around on Ron's Hawker and King Air and, you know, doing acquisitions because he wanted to break into the business of commercials. So, I mean, I've been around for a really long time. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when time flies, man, when you're having fun, that's all I can say. Absolutely. We'll leave it there. Yeah. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? So um, I would have to say that uh, it was it was my father um, because he showed me what it takes to be a hardworking person. And I saw him work too hard and he was a workaholic. Uh, he worked to, uh, he's no longer with us. Um, he passed a little over a year ago, but um, yeah, he worked basically until his last days. And he was a, a huge influence. And then same with my, uh, my mentor um, that I actually seeked out. Um, he, he wasn't somebody that was, you know, parading on stages who had, uh, you know, books, manuals and audios and all this stuff. It was, uh, it was somebody that was actually in the business, doing the business. Um, a little reluctant to help me, but, um, you know, I was persistent. Those are the best mentors I find. <laughs> Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Yeah, I think the, 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 the reality is a full 100% commitment. Um, I believe that a lot of people have good intentions, but there's so much that is tempting. And I always say I can resist anything but temptation, <laughs> but you know, it, it, the, you know, the phone rings, like my phone's been buzzing the whole time that we've been here. Like, you know, it's a busy life, right? Things happen. You know, clients are reaching you or you're out looking for your next deal. Um, and, and I, I talk about scaling. I feel that most people don't achieve the highest level of success because they limit themselves to the vehicle. And if they get into the right vehicle that can uh, really excel them to make more money. Like I always say, if you're dealing with dollars, you make dollars. If you deal with millions, you make millions. I love that. Absolutely. Mr. Terry, this has been an amazing podcast episode. I learned so much about your journey. I've learned so much about the self-storage space. I got a, a detailed insight on your definition of a cap rate. And uh, most people can't, can't spit it out that elo eloquently. So I appreciate that. If the listeners want to learn, learn a little bit more about you, they want to connect with you, uh, ask a question or two, find out what you got going on. Where can they find some of your information? Sure. So the best place to go is my name, which is right here, Terry Hale, T-E-R-R-Y-H-A-L-E.com. That's my website. I am very accessible. I'm not one of these uh, folks that, uh, you know, are, are toot my own horn and, and I disappear. Um, I actually love engaging with people and I'm huge on support. So if they want to email me, it's simple. It's support at terryhale.com, or you can grab my phone number off of my website at terryhale.com. And I'd love to engage with you and see if we're a fit. I'm always looking for limited partnership opportunities and expanding myself. That's what I do. I teach people and that way I can duplicate myself and get a piece of the pie. So it's good. I love it. I love it. I love it. And the links to everything that we talked on today's episode will be in the show notes, ladies and gents. Terry, thank you so much for the value that you provided to my listeners. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Thank you.